opportunity back into the normal schedule where we get a chance here now for some time to, to go deep into your word. God, your word is alive and active and it's perfect truth. We just admit that a lot of times we need help understanding going deeper with it. God, we don't want to just become experts in the Bible. We want to grow deeper in fellowship with you, Lord Jesus, and understand the times sharing it with others. So thanks for your help now, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Um, just a quick review of chapter 12. leads us right into 13. Chapter 12 had those four quadrants. Of course, um, giving us the big picture of the devil, the dragon, and how even back when Jesus was born, he was trying to destroy God's plan. So he tried to kill baby Jesus. He's uh, through Herod. He sent the soldiers down to Bethlehem to try and destroy him. And then it jumped ahead. Uh, well, it talked about war in heaven. Remember that between the devil and Michael and the angels up there? We uh, figured out from the passage, it's really pretty clear that that war in heaven happens at the midpoint. Um, so I encourage you to add that to your clear back here. So I encourage you to add that to your illustrations and, and the white space up here just to write war in heaven. Because that's when that war in heaven, who wins the war in heaven? When Michael and the angels win the war in heaven and what happens to the devil and the angels that follow him? They get hurled down to the earth and what's their, what's their emotional state when they get hurled down to the earth? Yeah, royally, royally, royally upset. And, it's, and so the Bible says, you know, watch out. He knows his time is short. He's licking his wounds, his pride. What, what's Satan's biggest sin problem? Pride. So his pride has really been kicked in the teeth. So he comes down to earth. He can't come up into heaven anymore. We know that the battle is, is on. The final war so he comes down, and that makes perfect sense because that lines up with uh, lines up with what happens at the midpoint is when the war happens in heaven, the battle in heaven, Satan is cast down, he can't come up there anymore. That's when he goes into the temple then, reveals his identity, says, you know what, actually I'm God, worship me or die, and he pours out his persecution on the Jews and the followers of Jesus. So that completely lines up with the, the war in And then later on, it talks about how um, so Satan, the devil, is going to go after Israel. God's going to supernaturally protect them. 144,000, they're going to go out in the wilderness. Satan tries to um, destroy them with a flood of some kind. And God opens up the earth, swallows the water to protect Israel. And it says then the devil is really mad because God won't, God won't let him destroy the Jews. So then he goes after the other followers of Jesus, and that would be you and me. Okay, so that leads us up into chapter 13. Let's pick it up verse 1, just to kind of get back in the flow here. The best we can. 13, it says, And the dragon stood on the shore of the sea. That dragon is the devil. I saw a beast coming out of the sea. He had ten horns, seven heads, 
with ten crowns on his horns, and on each head a blasphemous name. We looked forward to Revelation chapter 17 is where it tells us exactly what those things all stand for. So the ten horns stand for um, kings that serve with the Antichrist. Seven heads are previous empires. Right, kings from history, previous kings throughout history. Um, ten crowns on his horns. Each had a blasphemous name. So each one of those uh, heads is um, an empire that hated Israel and tried to destroy the Jews. And you say, really? Seven of them through history? Yeah, and there's more. <laughs> so can you imagine that? What, what if our American history... I mean, we've had tussles and verbal battles a lot with Russia and China, but have they ever actually taken up arms, come to our shores, and tried to destroy us? No. Can you imagine being Israel, and in your history, and there's more, but you can count seven major empires that literally tried to wipe you off the face of the earth. That's the kind of history that Israel has. Okay, so verse 2, let's pick it up. Here, go deeper Verse 2, the beast I saw resembled a leopard that had feet like those of a bear and a mouth like that of a lion. The dragon gave the beast his power and his throne and great authority. So first off, let's, we're describing, what we're describing here is end times kingdom, this beast. And um, they're using different animals from nature to give us some indications of what the quality of this last empire will be like. So what does a leopard bring to mind? Those of our African animal experts here. What, what comes, for, for characteristic, what comes to mind first for the leopard? Speed. 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 Usually stealth is good too. Speed is their, their greatest characteristic. What about bear? We have those around here. Yeah, ferocity, unbelievable strength. Mouth like that of a lion. What what what's notable about a lion's mouth? What does he do with that? Devours. Yeah, devours and the roar of a lion. Well, when you look at the African shows or whatever, man alive. Yeah, can they can they broadcast with that mouth? So what's that say about an empire? It's gonna move with lightning speed. It's gonna have strength and ferocity that are shocking, amazing. It's going to mouth though, it's going to declare things with power and authority. Um, those things all line up. So you might wonder, well, you know, does this just come out of nowhere? This this beast description, leopard, bear, lion? Actually, no. It comes out of somewhere. So we're going to go back to Daniel chapter 7. We're going to read the whole chapter, so I think you want to go there. Daniel chapter 7, we're going to go through the whole chapter, because it goes into, into the heart of this beast that we're looking at in Revelation 13. So if you go back in your Old Testament, you find Psalms, go after, to the right of Psalms, you find Isaiah and Jeremiah, they're really big books. 
and after Jeremiah's Lamentations, Ezekiel, then Daniel. <clears throat> Daniel chapter 7. Daniel's an end times book. It just is. Chapter 7. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream, and visions passed through his mind as he was lying on his bed. He wrote down the substance of his dream. So what does that tell you? I circled that. He wrote down the substance of his dream. What does that tell you? Okay, theme. Right. Did he, is he going to write down for us every single detail that he saw? No, he's given us the, the guts, the substance, the main thing. So he saw an awful lot of stuff, but he's going to give us the guts of it, the substance. Verse 2, Daniel said, In my vision at night I looked, and there before me were the four winds of heaven churning up the great sea. Four great beasts, each different from the others, came up out of the sea. And so he's going to describe four different world empires here. The first was like a lion. It had the wings of an eagle. I watched until its wings were torn off and it was lifted from the ground so that it stood on two feet like a man and the heart of a man was given to it. I, don't worry, he's going to explain this to us down the line. There before me was a second beast which looked like a bear. It was raised up on one of its sides and it had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. It was told, get up and eat your fill of flesh. After that I looked, and there before me was another beast, one that looked like a leopard. So do we have the exact same three um, beasts mentioned in Revelation 13? we got lion, leopard, and bear, sure enough. On its back it had four wings like those of a bird. This beast had four heads, and it was given authority to rule. When you, when you dive into history in which empires these are referring to, it's amazing what they're referring to. So like this beast, this, le um, this leopard... The four wings, this is a, an empire where the emperor had four sons, and the wings represent the four sons. And um, so the beast had four heads, it represents the four sons. And you go into that, and when he died, as he was dying, he broke up his empire into four different pieces and told which son was going to be which, because he didn't want them warring with each other over the empire. It's real, and this, and this, this prophecy dream is hundreds and hundreds of years in advance of that kingdom even appearing. Verse 7. After that, in my vision at night I looked, and there before me was a fourth beast, terrifying and frightening and very powerful. It had large iron teeth. It crushed and devoured its victims and trampled underfoot whatever was left. It was different from all the former beasts, and it had how many horns? Okay, wow. So... If we're reading Revelation 13, we come back to this, we go, do we, what do you think? This fourth beast in Daniel chapter 7, is, which beast is he describing? Which kingdom is he describing? The end times kingdom that Daniel, or that Revelation is describing for us. Verse 8. While I was thinking about the horns, the ten horns, there before me was another horn, a little one, which came up among them. And three of the first horns were uprooted before it. So when you look at this, the ten horns, each horn represents um, a country, a nation in the end times. So a, a little horn coming up among them means, as we, as we go through it in Gideon, you go, okay, 
So the little horn is not a whole nation, that's a person. And all this stuff makes sense as we go on. Three of the first horns were uprooted before it. So the little horn uproots three of these nations, meaning apparently maybe he goes in with armies and uh, maybe they're resisting him. He goes in and, and takes charge over them. He ups, uproots them. He takes them over. This horn had eyes like the eyes of a man and a mouth that spoke boastfully. Who does that line up with in Thessalonians and Revelation? The man that speaks boastfully is that. That's the Antichrist. So you see how Daniel, I mean, we could easily line up Daniel, just lay it right alongside Revelation. They're just companions to each other in a wonderful way. Verse 9, so if there's any, I'm just kind of walk through this quickly. Any questions along the way? Be sure and grunt, whistle, put your hand up or something. Anything so far? Okay. Verse 9. As I looked, thrones were set in place, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was as white as snow. The hair of his head was white like wool. His throne was flaming with fire. Its wheels were all ablaze. A river of fire was flowing, coming out from before him. A river of fire. So, you know, like a volcano, or I'm sure much more. Thousands upon thousands attended him, 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. The court was seated and the books were open. Now, we'll eventually get to Revelation chapter 20. This is the final judgment. And it, it lines up perfectly with what Revelation chapter 20 says. So if you want to, if you've got your Bibles and you're open to Daniel, you can write in there <clears throat> Revelation 20, 11 to 15. For the court was seated. Uh, verse 11. Then I continued to watch because of the boastful words the horn was speaking. So he, he's focusing on the Antichrist here. I kept looking until the beast was slain, its body destroyed and thrown into the blazing fire. The other beasts had been stripped of their authority, but were allowed to live for a period of time. In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. Who's that? That's Jesus for sure. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All peoples, nations, and men of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. His kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Of course, that's the tail end of Revelation. Christ ruling and reigning over the earth. In verse 15, I, Daniel, was troubled in spirit, and the visions that passed through my mind disturbed me. I approached one of those standing there and asked him the true meaning of all this. So he told me and gave me the interpretation of these things. Aren't we glad? <laughs> if we didn't have this interpretation... All the little things I detailed to you along the way, we wouldn't know them. <clears throat> We'd have to guess and go all over the place. So he says, so he told me and gave me the interpretation of these things. Verse 17, the four great beasts are four kingdoms that will rise from the earth. But the saints of the Most High will receive the kingdom and will possess it forever. Yes, forever and ever. So he says, the four great beasts are four world kingdoms. But what's the end result? Verse 
verse 18. What's the end result of these four earthly kingdoms doing all they can to rule and reign? Kingdoms. They fall. And who gets to rule and reign forever? We do with Jesus. So that's they're each going to have their time, but it's a time like a flower, right? A lily, it grows and blooms, it looks beautiful, and what happens? coming that's going to last forever. So this is this is God's perspective, and this is perspective that the Lord encourages us to, to work at getting a hold of. Because if all I do is focus on today, or yesterday, or tomorrow, my, my, my focus is way too tiny. I'm not seeing the eternal picture. So yeah, these kingdoms are going to have their time, but it's a limited time in the natural and we win in the end, and we win forever. So that's that's the angel's summary. There's four great beasts or four kingdoms that are going to rise up in the earth, verse 18. But the saints of the Most High will receive the kingdom and will possess it forever. Yes, forever and ever. So he emphasizes that forever and ever. Yes, we win forever. So keep that in mind. Verse 19. And I wanted to know the true meaning of the fourth beast, which was different from all the others and most terrifying, with its iron teeth and bronze claws, the beast that crushed and devoured its victims and trampled underfoot whatever was left. I also wanted to know about the ten horns on its head, about the other horn that came up, before which three of them fell, a horn that looked more imposing than the others, and that had eyes and a mouth that spoke boastfully. As I watched, this horn was waging war, Against the saints. Who are the saints? It's us. It's the believers, right? Followers of Jesus, the, the blood-bought children of Jesus. The horn was waging war against the saints. When does he do that? In silence. Yeah, right after uh, pre-rap, no, pre-rap, pre-God's rap. Right after the midpoint, right? after the war in heaven is done, Satan comes down, all that stuff at the midpoint. As I watched, this horn was waging war against the saints, and was he having success? Yes, defeating them until the Ancient of Days came and pronounced judgment in favor of the saints of the Most High. Time came and they possessed the kingdom. So in Revelation, you can hear different things pop to mind. How about the souls under the altar saying, how long, God? How long are you going to let this go on? You know, your enemies are killing us, your children, martyring us, and we're, we're multiplying under the altar here. How long is this going to go on, God says, until the number is completed? Just a little, little while longer. When the number is completed, I'm going to fix this thing. Bring it all to an end. So you hear those kinds of things here. Time came and they possessed the kingdom. Verse 23. He gave me this explanation. The fourth beast is a fourth kingdom that will appear on earth. It will be different from all the other kingdoms. It will devour the whole earth. Does that include the mighty United States of America? What do you think? Be it. Trampling it down and crushing it. 24. The ten horns are ten kings who will come from this kingdom. 
After them, another king will arise, different from the earlier ones. He will subdue three kings. Now, this is interesting. Everyone jumped on this. So ten hordes of ten kings will come from this kingdom. After them, another king will arise. So the ten are in place when the Antichrist appears. Different from the earlier ones, the Antichrist will subdue three kings. Verse 25. The three kings are going to resist his authority. Now when you look at that, I mean, it's pretty natural, right? In any time frame, but you look at, say, Putin, Erdogan from Turkey, the Ayatollah from Iran, those three are cooperating now. They're going to be big players in the end times. I suppose those three are just going to lay down and give up their power and authority and stuff to another human being easily? No. Those guys each want to rule the world. Uh, so there's going to be some knuckleheads that have to be dealt with for the Antichrist to take charge of them. I don't know if that's going to be the three guys, but it's just three that came to mind. Verse 25. He, the Antichrist, will speak against the Most High and oppress his saints and try to change the set times and the laws. The saints will be handed over to him for a time, times, and half a time. How long a chunk, how long a time frame is that? Time, times, and half a time? Three and a half years. When does that happen? Is that the first three and a half? First three and a half. First three and a half and the last three and a half. The last three and a half with all the, yeah. So this, this is one of the passages where I'm like, please tell me how you see pre-tribulation rapture in here. How you see us being taken out before things get rough. Please tell me how you see that. What is crystal clear in this passage? The saints are going to be under terrible oppression, martyrdom is going to be happening. It is ultra, ultra crystal clear. I suppose that the pre-trib guys are saying that, well, after the after the rapture, some people get saved, and they're the ones that, no. That's manufacturing stuff. Verse 26, but the court will sit. Now, this is at the end, right? The final... Uh, judgment of God, final court. But the court will sit. His power will be taken away and completely destroyed for how long? Forever. Then the sovereignty, power, and greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven will be handed over to the saints, the people of the Most High. Because do we stay dead forever? What did Jesus say? Don't be afraid of those who can kill your body. Big deal. What you really ought to be concerned about and afraid of is the one who has power and authority over your your soul. Because that's for eternity. So the saints come back to life and we rule and reign with Jesus, the people of the Most High. His kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom. Sorry about that, Satan. And all rulers will worship and obey him. 28. This is the end of the matter. I, Daniel, was deeply troubled by my thoughts. My face turned pale, but I kept the matter to myself. Why is Daniel, why is he deeply troubled? Why does he turn pale when he hears the interpretation of his dream? 
What do you see coming for the people of God? A super rough patch. But what is emphasized two or three different times through this whole thing? The end, the end, the end, just the end. You rule and reign forever. That's the end game. Okay, so comments or questions on Daniel chapter 7. Okay, so you see how I say the key to understanding Revelation is reading the rest of your Bible, especially the Old Testament. The New helps tons, too. But when, when you read your whole Bible, then you come to Revelation, you're like, wow, I've heard this before. You go back, wow, details. Not just a passing reference, but details. Okay, let's go back to Revelation 13. Verse 2. beast I saw resembled a leopard, but had feet like those of a bear, and a mouth like that of a lion. So, in Daniel chapter 7, those were three separate empires, weren't they? Why are they all combined into this final beast? All comes together. It's, it's the whole, this is a whole world kingdom, which is really clear in Daniel chapter 7. It's a whole world kingdom. And it's going gonna, it's gonna to carry the most powerful aspect of each of those previous earthly kingdoms. They're all going to be rolled up into this last one. It's going to be the biggest. Daniel kept saying over and over, this one's different than all the rest. This one's different than all the rest. So the, the Christians that want to say Matthew chapter 24 all got accomplished in AD 70, that, that all the stuff Jesus talked about there happened already in AD 70, and going, how does the Roman Empire of AD 70 fit all these descriptions? It wasn't a worldwide empire. They didn't go after Christians. They just destroyed the Jews in Jerusalem. None of that stuff works. So I feel like that position is kind of grasping at straws and wanting to make it like, whew, this, this worst, 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 worst stuff the Bible talks about, it, it's, it already happened. We don't have to worry about it. Yeah, we're trying to make it easy on ourselves, and that's not the path that God has laid out for us here to be aware of. And a mouth like that of a lion, the dragon gave this beast. So here, let's, now let's get into this. The dragon, the devil, gave the beast, this final world empire, his power, his throne, Great authority. Now, interesting. Is this is this copy in any way what God will do, has done? Is there ever going to be a moment when God the Father gives all of his power and throne and authority to someone to wield on the earth? He's going to give that to Jesus, right? And so, again, what's what the devil doing? He's trying to copy. He doesn't have an original thought in his head. He's trying to copy God again. He's going to give all his stuff to the Antichrist and see if he can pull it off. Verse 3. One of the heads of the beast seemed to have a fatal wound. But the fatal wound had been healed. The whole world was astonished and followed the beast. So what does that copy? 
crucifixion, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. So we're going to copy that. So fatal wound. This happens every now and then, right? When some, somebody should have died, but boy, they survived. It's a miracle. Uh, but it's going to be pretty. It's going to be very dramatic. The whole world's going to be astonished at it. So it's going to be dramatic. The whole world was astonished and followed the beast. Now it's tricky in here because uh, we use this beast all, all a lot now in Revelation going forward from here on. Sometimes it refers specifically to the Antichrist. Sometimes it's to his end-time empire. And so it's a little tricky sometimes which beast are we talking about. So from the context, usually we can figure out. Here it's talking about the Antichrist himself. The world follows the beast, follows the Antichrist. Verse 4, men worshipped the dragon, the devil, because he had given authority to the beast. And they also worshipped the beast and asked, who is like the beast? Who can make war against him? This is fascinating questions, right? Because um, what do we love from the Psalms? A lot of our worship songs are, Who is there like you? Comes from the Psalms, right? Now, who, are, who are we talking about? We're talking about God, the one true God. Who is there like you? The Psalms are full of that because the world is always worshiping handmade, man made gods. And so the writers of Scripture are like, Well, wait a minute. Look at these man made gods. Ugh. Who is there like you, God? Holy and righteous, gracious and merciful. There's no God like you. So that's our worship, our focus. And so again, what is what is Satan co-opt? Um, they're going to be worshiping the Antichrist, the one who gave authority. And they're going to say, who is like the Antichrist? There's nobody like him on the earth. He's brought peace to the Middle East. He's doing all these amazing things. Who is like the beast? Well, it's because they don't know the one who is far greater. So that's our, you know, our challenge is to keep on telling people about Christ so they have a chance to know the one who is the one true God before all this deceptionist stuff gets entrenched. Who can make war against him? So, oh, I don't know. How did it go for Satan in heaven when he went to war? Didn't go so good. Who can make war against him? God can. Jesus can. Even Michael can, and Michael won. So we need to fear the final result, the final victory. Yeah. Right? Comments, questions? Yes, Gary? Uh, verse 2, the drag gave a crucifix power and throne and great authority. It doesn't say all of them. True. No, did I misspeak and say all authority? Okay, right. Right, and I suppose that that means that kind of like Pharaoh made Joseph second in command and said Joseph must be obeyed in every matter except, and he had like two things that he held back for himself as the, the prime authority. And so Satan would be like that. He gives everything else to Antichrist. Really similar. God the Father gives you know, so much to Jesus, but God's still God. Yeah, very good. Yeah, great authority. 
and we'll have more of that detail down the line here. Um, the Antichrist is going to do miracles and stuff, legitimate. He's going to call fire down from heaven. Uh, again, copies Elijah from the Old Testament and stuff. Great authority. Stuff's going to happen. Okay, good. Anything else through like verses 1 through 4? Let's see. Yeah. I just thought it was interesting that when the two prophets died, they found verses when the beast got their mortal wound. This mortal wound and they found them. Yeah, and that, that was another thing. Thanks for bringing that up, is that it's, we get so into, I do, I get so into the micro. I'm, I'm, I'm working through, this is what's going on. It's right after the midpoint and stuff. What else is going on after the midpoint? Illustration is so Just the two witnesses. Two witnesses in Jerusalem, the two prophets, who are, for three and a half years, they're, they're telling the world to repent. Anybody tries to kill them, they kill them with fire from their mouths. They're releasing plagues and all kinds of judgments on the earth. That's happening at the same time as all this other stuff. Hmm. So it, it's really, it's a challenge for me to step back and keep the whole picture in view here. So the Antichrist is doing things um, and they're doing some miracles and things. Meanwhile, you got these two witnesses in Jerusalem that are witnessing Antichrist tries to kill him, can't. That goes on simultaneously the whole time. So God has a witness right there every day in Jerusalem this whole time that the world could see and respond to if they would. Interesting. Good. Anything else? wonder, does he fake it? Does he seem to have had a fatal wound? Or is it just the language of, gee, we thought he was for sure a goner? It's a little bit, I don't want to say it's fuzzy, it's a little bit unclear there. But the whole world is going to be astonished at his recovery. So, if it's a lie, it's going to be very, very effective and everything. I guess, most interpreters have leaned toward this a real wound, and it might be an attempted assassination. You know, that kind of stuff is common when somebody rises to that much power and authority. It's not uncommon for somebody to take a shot at him. A fatal wound and then is healed. So the whole world's astonished at his recovery. So it must be a real deal. gets us into because we're just about done here today. The beast was given a mouth to utter proud words. So who gave him that mouth? The Antichrist. Satan. Yep, the devil himself. Was given a mouth to utter proud words and blasphemies to exercise his authority for how long? 42 months. How long is that? Years. Three and a half years. I just love how when you take the Bible literally, even prophecy literally, everything lines up. Everything dovetails. It all makes sense. So 
the Antichrist is going to mouth by the devil to utter proud words and blasphemies, exercise his authority for 42 months. So, um, leading up to this time, what's the Antichrist doing the first three and a half years? Well, he's, he's big. Uh, I think he's probably uh, prominent in the signing of this seven-year treaty with Israel to start the whole thing. Uh, it sounds like his power and authority, worldwide power and authority, is firmly established at the midpoint, but he's gathering it and assembling it in those first three and a half years is kind of the impression that I got from the scriptures. And then at this midpoint, the devil says, all right, I'm not holding anything back. You, sir, are in charge. I give you authority, power to, to blaspheme God and you're in charge. I don't think he probably tells it for three and a half years, but um, that's how long it's going to last. Verse 6, he, the Antichrist then, opened his mouth to blaspheme God, to slander his name and his dwelling place and those who live in heaven. Who lives in heaven Believers and Jesus and myriads and myriads of angels. So it's funny because um, you ever watch uh, prize fighting? I'm sure most of you know it. <laughs> uh, my two brothers enjoy professional boxing. I just can't. Um, so if you ever watch, okay, so before the before the boxing match, like a week beforehand, maybe it's the day before, they have a weigh-in. They have to establish, they're, they're in weight categories, just like wrestling. So they weigh in, and they make a big production out of it. They come up on the scales, and there's media all around, and their, their trainers and their families, all kind of stuff. And they strip down to their skivvies, and they get up on the scales. And the whole time, the boxers are like, you're mine. I'm going to kill you. You're not going to touch me. It's all this. It's all these blasphemies. It's all this. I'm the greatest. You stink. It just goes on and on and on. So then after the fight is done, okay, this is the kind of stuff that goes on. So what's the end? They just got kicked out of heaven. They lost the battle in heaven. Michael and the angels kicked them out, hurled them down to the earth. They can't come back. They know they lost that battle and there's no going back. So what's the Antichrist doing? Oh, yeah. We're the greatest. Who's he, who's he cussing out? Who's he dumping on? He's insulting the angels that just whooped him. He's insulting God who just kicked him out of heaven. He's insulting the saints who are going to rule and reign forever on the earth. It's just all sour grapes. So the world's going to be like, yeah, 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 God, you stink. And we're going to be like, seriously? You just got beat in the ring. That's a foretaste of the ultimate loss that's coming your way. But it's all. <laughs> awesome, God. We're glad. We're so glad we know who the greatest is. Not just that you win, but that you're righteous and holy, you're trustworthy and true, that you're gracious and merciful. And God, that we we have God in the flesh dying on the cross for us two thousand years ago. We know you that way. So it informs so much of when you come as conquering king, you're not just a bully, you're not a bully. 
you've laid down everything yourself in humility to save us. So God, help us. We pray for revival for America, awakening around the world. We thank you for every individual who gets saved. God, we ask for a flood of salvations to come uh, before the trumpet blows so it's too late. Help us, God, to witness and pray and share with others right around us in daily life to fill up these chairs, Father, with people hungry for Jesus. In your precious name we pray. Amen. Amen.